All right, for our study today, we'll go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. <clears throat> now, it's a little warm in here, so um, hope you don't fall asleep on me, okay? I'll try to keep awake, too. And... Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17 says, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. The merciful man is kased. It's the Hebrew word. It means loyal love, steadfast love. We began last week looking at uh, this word, a little bit and learning a little bit about it. It's an action word. It's a word that that uh, speaks of an action love, uh, deals in kindly deeds, and uh, probably the most prominent place where this is used is in Psalm 136, where 26 times, once in each verse, uh, there is the declaration for his mercy endures forever, for his kased, his loyal love, his his action love, his steadfast love, endures forever. Now in the book of Proverbs, you, you find it in chapter 3 and verse 3, where it's giving the introduction uh, to the book of Proverbs. Uh, beginning at verse 1 there, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, here's the purpose now, to know wisdom, and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice or, or righteousness, and justice and equity. The I don't I must have goofed there. Just a minute. Um, verse four to give prudence to the simple and the young man knowledge and discretion. I don't see our word. In, in chapter 3. I'm sorry, I was reading chapter 1. I guess I'd better wake up this morning. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. All right, now, in chapter 3, it's giving us three wages um, of wisdom. It says, for length of days, long life, and peace shall they add to thee. Now, in connection to that, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them on the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. All right? Let not mercy and truth, combination of mercy and truth, two of the very vital things that you have in the character of God. First of all, mercy and truth. Mercy is one aspect of the character of God. The balancing aspect of the character of God is the veracity of God or the truth of God. And every, every uh, time you see in Scripture God dealing with men, you'll discover that God deals with them in mercy and truth. Again, the character and likeness of God, God wants to reproduce in the lives of His creatures. Therefore, we're not to let mercy and truth forsake us. There's, there's mercy without truth. 
And that, of course, is very wishy-washy and very, uh, 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 very uh, easily uh, changed and, and moved. When you have mercy without truth, then uh, you, have, you just have sentimentality. If you have truth without mercy, then you have, a, you have sort of a cold, hard orthodoxy. Uh, you stand for the truth, but there is no mercy. And uh, that brings about a coldness and a hardness and a harshness. And God has both. In balance, in balance. And by the same token, as we deal with people, we have to deal with them in truth. We can never compromise truth. But at the same time, we have to deal with them in mercy. And so we're not to, uh, not to let mercy and truth forsake us, but we're to bind them upon our neck as a reminder. We're to write them on the table of our heart so that we never forget to show both mercy and truth. You know people that deal, with, deal in truth, but without mercy. You also know people that deal in mercy without truth. Now, there is a promise in connection to that in verse 4 where it says, So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. It's that which gives us favor both with God and with man. Now, the interesting thing is that that word kesed, which is used so popularly in the Psalms, is not found again until our verse in chapter 11, verse 17. After that, it's used several times, but there's that whole space between chapter 3 and uh, chapter 11 where the word is not, is not used. All right? Chapter 14 is the next place that it's used. Chapter 14 and verse 22. Do they not err that devise evil? But mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. Mercy and truth. Now, of course, it's dealing with mercy and truth as God giving it to us. God will deal with us in mercy and truth if we are involved in devising good. There's a great difference between the one who devises evil and the one who devises good. The one that devises evil errs goes out of the path, goes out of the way. The one that devises good, God sees to it that he receives this combination of mercy and truth. Then the word is used in a negative way uh, down in chapter 14 and verse 34. Right, excuse me, th verse 35. The king's favor or mercy is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causeth shame. I said negative, I was wrong. It's, and it's verse 35, not verse 34. I'm not doing so hot this morning, am I? In any event, the king's favor, the king's mercy, is toward the wise servant. The king shows a very special measure of mercy uh, to the servant who does who has uh, developed his skills, uh, the word kokma for, uh, for wise here, the uh, idea of skill, the idea of being able to do a task and do it well. King's favor is toward a wise servant. Chapter 16, verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. All right? By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Fascinating 
in the Old Testament to see how God is able to be consistent with his own character and at the same time able uh, to uh, forgive sin. The concept that the people have of God in the pagan lands round about is that God is either good or evil. That God is, that, that the gods of the Canaanites and the Amorites is a God who, who can be appeased, but a God who cannot show mercy. A God who cannot, who, uh, another God may, may show mercy, but he cannot show, he cannot deal in truth. Another God may deal, uh, deal in, in terms of, of uh, love, uh, but is unable to, uh, to deal in any harsh judgment. And, uh, of course, that same idea is carried into Greek mythology, where the foibles of the gods are, are the foibles of men. Uh, they, they create God in their own image. And uh, they, they make God like the creature that God has created. But God, Almighty God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, is a God who is capable of showing both truth and mercy. A God who is able to deal in mercy and truth and still forgive sin. It's an awesome thing when you, when you realize that the only basis on which God could actually do that is by sending His Son to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven our sin. God, because He's a God of judgment, must deal in judgment. But Jesus Christ was an adequate sacrifice which allowed God to deal in truth, in truth, without compromising his veracity, but yet at the same time to deal in mercy. And in mercy and truth, he was able to in, uh, purge iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Chapter 19 and verse 22. The desire of a man is his kindness. The very fact that God has given men desire is that which is a kindness to him. It's a grace. It's, it's a matter of God demonstrating his grace and his mercy to men. And a poor man is better than a liar. Again, one of those comparative dishticks. A, man, a poor man better than a liar. But the desire of a man is kindness. The God bestowing upon a man that which, uh, which gives him motivation and purpose as far as his life is concerned. Chapter 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim uh, everyone his own goodness. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Most men would like to be known as those that show a loyal love, a steadfast love, and yet a faithful man who can find. Chapter 20 and verse 28, twice the word is used. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upheld by mercy. Chapter 21, verse 21. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy. There's a, a new combination. Not mercy and truth in this case. 
but righteousness be correct according to a standard our good old friend Tasak he that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life righteousness and honor and then in chapter 31 last chapter dealing with this woman who's called the virtuous woman or the woman of capacity she opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness so there is where the word is used in our particular book the book we're studying the book of Proverbs and used those several times giving us the concept and idea of this loyal love now the hero of verse 17 of chapter 11 is the merciful man the emphasized Bible translates it loving kindness Young's literal translation translates it kind the translated translation of the Old Testament scriptures from the original uh, Hebrew uh, which is a very rare translation um, uses the word benevolent that's maybe a good word to uh, have the all-embracing idea of cassette here New American Bible and the Berkeley translation both have the word kindly the Jerusalem Bible has the word generous it's loyal and loving kindness in action you can't say it's love there's another word for love but it has the idea of love that is kind as to its nature and also steadfast a love that is loyal that's the idea of the word remember in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders he quotes uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as saying it is more blessed to give than to receive that actually is um, what we call an agrafe it is uh, a graphe the reason it's an agrafe is it's not a writing it's not the word graphe for write a negates it uh, and uh, the agrafe is a quotation uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ that is not recorded in the Gospels I don't know how Paul knew except that, that Paul may have, uh, have uh, uh, been acquainted with those that, that uh, told him that Christ said this. Uh, but of course the Holy Spirit put it upon his heart and uh, inspired him to write it. And he said, the Lord Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that little verse is really uh, something that speaks to us in terms of kindness. It's more blessed. God says that the blessing, the blessing of the Lord is not in the ability to receive that which others may give you, but rather the blessing of the Lord comes in your ability, the ability that God gives to, to you and to me to, to show kindness, to show mercy, to show graciousness to others that are round about us. In uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, remember that Christ said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Happy are the merciful. 
God wants us to have that attitude of being able to look at the other fellow and being able to give him the benefit of the doubt. You ever hear that word in the New Testament called forbearance? The Greek word simply means to make an allowance for the other person's faults. To make an allowance for the other person's faults. To be able to look at an individual and to, to say, well, yeah, he's only human. And if it, if it had been me in the same position, I might have made the same mistake. I, identifying with him. That leads then to an attitude of mercy. Take it easy on the other guy. Show mercy. It is a privilege. It is blessed to show mercy. It is bless, a blessed privilege of the believer in Christ and the one filled with his Holy Spirit to be able to look at that other fellow and, and to, to forgive him. And show him mercy. Some people say, well, I'll forgive him, but I won't show him mercy. Well, you see, you can forgive him mentally. Showing mercy is, is demonstrating steadfast love to that same individual. The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples they were to love one another. Told them that they were to love their neighbors themselves. They were to love their enemies. Even their enemies. How do you do that? By showing a demonstrative love by doing good for them. And when a person, when a person shows mercy, that individual then is a candidate for God showing mercy. And it's not as though God doesn't show mercy automatically because of his own character. He does. But God says there's a very special mercy that can be shown to the individual who is willing to show mercy himself. You want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. There's a very interesting sequence here in this fifth chapter in reference to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in particular. You know, there's, there are uh, eight attitudes here that are dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, verse 3 it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the humble individual. And uh, actually the word means to have a right evaluation of yourself toward God. As Trench puts it, it's not a matter of you saying you're humble. It's not a matter of you saying you're nothing. It's taking it by faith. It's, it's, it's understanding and recognizing uh, that when you compare yourself to God, uh, that you are humbled before him. You're utterly dependent upon him. And then, of course, in verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, for they, um, they shall be comforted. In verse 5, um, it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And verse 6, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, there's a very interesting thing here. The first, the first thing you have is the kind of anti-pride attitude, all right? In other words, you see yourself as you really are before God. You see yourself as creatures of the dust. You see yourself humbled before Him. The second thing you have is blessed are they that mourn, which really has an I the idea of mourning because of sin. It's, it's actually hating what God hates. Third thing is the idea 
of uh, mercy, I mean of uh, meekness, no need to react. The word protes is a word whereby uh, you, you recognize that there are no mistakes in your life. That God brings something into your life for a reason and a purpose. If he brings a person across your path that wrongs you and hurts you, God wants to use that to develop character in you. And a, a protes is, is a relaxed attitude that no matter what takes place, God is in control. That's the idea of protes, all right? So number four is walking according to God's standard. Right? Now those four things are attitudes Godward. In other words, each of these has to do with our view of God. When you see God as He really is, then you are humbled before Him. When you see how God hates sin, and how God is grieved over sin, then you mourn over sin. When you see that God is in control of every circumstance of your life, then you don't have to react. When you see what God desires as far as the standard and all of God's standards are in relationship to His own character, then you will desire to walk according to God's standard. Now here's the interesting thing. The next four things that Christ said parallel each of these. If you have an attitude toward God that is correct, then you will have an attitude toward men on the horizontal level that is correct. And so the next four, the next four, let's start with the fourth one and show you what, what we mean. When it says in verse 10 that you're going to be persecuted, blessed are they that are persecuted, why are you persecuted? For righteousness sake. Because you've walked according to God's standard. That's why you're persecuted. And God says that because you've walked according to my standard and you receive persecution, then blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it goes on and explains that further by saying, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad and so on. Moving upward now, the idea of no need to react, notice in verse 9, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. When people do something to you, and you have an attitude, God brought this for good, not for evil, the attitude of Joseph in the land of Egypt, the, the attitude of David when he was cursed by Shimei, and the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was nailed on the cross, when you have that relaxed attitude that God has everything under control, I don't have to worry about it, you see, then you're free to be a peacemaker. When an individual approaches you with a rude remark, you don't have to react to that person. You can learn from his attitude, and you can grow, and you can rest in God, and you can be a peacemaker. You don't have to react to the individual. And the next one up is the idea in verse 8. 
Blessed are the, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you hate what God hates, then there's going to be a, 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 a pure life, a pure heart that is going to be presented, an honest and good heart that will be presented. Now, why did I begin backwards? I began backwards because it's this first one that relates to the verse we, re we mentioned a moment ago, verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Merciful. Now, you see, when you see yourself as you really are in the sight of God, and then realize that God Himself, with His perfect character, with His perfect love, with His perfect, with His, His perfect justice, with His perfect righteousness, with His immutability, with all of the attributes of God, you see yourself like when, when Isaiah saw, him, saw the Lord's holiness, just one aspect of God's character. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of, the unclean li of people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord in all of His beauty and holiness. And you see, when you see God in His holiness, then you're humbled as to your unholiness. When you see God in, in His justice, then you are humbled as to your, your own injustice. And therefore, when you begin to see yourself that way, draw upon the resources that are at your disposal, then you, are, you find yourself able to show mercy. After all, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We're all recipients of the mercy of God. God has wonderfully and wondrously poured out His mercy upon me. How can I do less to you? has to do with forgiveness rather than mercy. But remember the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 in the latter verse where it says, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You can go out into that world today and you can find people and you will find people that don't deserve mercy at all. They don't deserve mercy at all. And you can show them mercy. Why? Because you realize you didn't deserve mercy either. But God gave it to you. There's a woman that her, had lost her husband and had an only son. And uh, the son committed a crime and was standing before the judge. And the, the judge went through the motions of the trial and finally found the young man guilty. And uh, the mother asked if she could approach the bench. And the judge granted it. And she came before the judge with tears streaming down her face. She says, Oh, sir, could you not show mercy? And the judge said, Ma'am, justice must be done. Your son is guilty. Justice must be done. And the mother again, with a mother's heart that was near breaking, she says, Oh, sir, I did not ask for justice. I am here to plead for mercy. Here is God, able to justly condemn you to a Christless eternity. There isn't a person in this room that deserved anything but judgment. I often say, 
Many of you have heard me say, please don't ever say, God give me what I deserve. Don't ever say that. There are a lot of people running around that think the world, think the world owes them a living. And they're saying, I want it, all I want in life is to get what I deserve. Please don't say that. Because the Bible makes unmistakably clear that you deserved hell. That's what you deserve. If God had given you what you deserved, you never would have drew a second breath. Your life would never have gotten by that first lie that you told when you were a small child. If God would have given you what you deserved. God is a God of justice, but that justice is tempered by that part of His character which is merciful, which is kased. His loyal love endures forever. <coughs> and it's our wonderful privilege to be, to be the recipients of that kind of mercy. The God of the universe who not only could condemn us to hell, but by according to His own character must condemn us to hell. What did he do? He chose to bear the brunt of judgment and take it upon his own son in order that you might be forgiven. That's an expression of kased. So you look at those that you work with today. You see a man who doesn't deserve mercy at all. And you have it within your power to show justice or mercy. God figured out a way whereby he could be consistent with his justice and consistent with his mercy. And by his grace, he wants you to do the same thing. And sometimes it means bearing the brunt yourself, taking that force upon yourself in order that you might be freed to show mercy to the other individual. Say, but I've taken enough guff. Have you ever thought how much guff you give God? How many of you today, the very first time you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you responded? Usually we have one or two. What if God had said, all right, you've heard it, you've had your shot, no more chance. And walked away and you never had a second chance to hear the gospel. Dear Oswald J. Smith makes a statement trying to stir people up about missions, a statement I, I can't agree with at all. What he says is this, no man has the right to hear the gospel twice until every man has heard it once. Boy, I'm glad that's not true. Because if that had been true, if it was true that God that God operated on the basis that he was going to get the gospel to every individual once. And he wasn't going to start over until, until after he had gotten it to everybody. None of us would be saved today. Because none of us responded the first time we heard the gospel, right? Very seldom does a man respond. Once in a while, there'll be a few. Once in a while, a person will hear the gospel and the first time and he'll say, my goodness, that's wonderful news. Why didn't somebody tell me sooner? And he'll accept the Lord. Most of us hear it, we're a little skeptical. Wouldn't it be something if God was not a merciful God? And when you said, I'm skeptical about that. I don't know about that. God says, okay, 
zap. And yet, what do we do? We say, I can't take any more guff from that guy. If you don't take any more guff from that guy, should God take any more guff from you? Are you, have you gotten to the place in your life where you are so sure that you're not going to goof before God, that you no longer need God's mercy, that you can look at that other fellow and not show him mercy? Luke 6 records it, records the Sermon on the Mount a little bit differently than Matthew. And in verse 36, verse 36, he says this, Be ye therefore merciful, using the word Elias, as your Father also is merciful. Now notice the, the context here. Verse 35 says this, Love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be sons of the highest, for he is kind. Now he doesn't use the word elios, which is merciful, but the word Christos, which is a, one of the words for kindness in the New Testament. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. You say, but that man is so unthankful. That man is so evil. I can't show him mercy. God does. He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Then verse 36. Be therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Then verse 37. It's very practical. Judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. God wants you to learn to show mercy. Then in verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure ye measure, it shall be measured to you again. There is, a, there is a degree in which God will deal with you in according to the way that you deal with other men. And I think we should understand and learn from this, even though the Sermon on the Mount has very special application. We should learn that this is the very, this is the very character of God. What if God what if God dealt with you totally on the basis of the way you treat the other guy is the way God is going to treat you? How would you fare? Well, you say, I've got a good friend and I treat him real nice. Now, the way God treats his enemies, the way you treat your enemies, if God dealt with you totally on that basis, we'd never make it. Well, God doesn't deal with us totally on that basis. God forgives our sin. God deals with us according to the work of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross so that God could deal with you in, in ultimate mercy. But think of it. God dealing with us in terms 
of the way we deal with other people. Christ wants us to think about that and think of the implications and respond accordingly. Now again, in every act of mercy, there are two parties. Every act of mercy, there are two parties. First of all, there is the one helped and the one who helps. And both parties one who helps and the one helped, both parties benefit. There is benefit to both. Both get, but the larger share is no doubt given to the person who was the giver because he lives in an atmosphere of benevolence, an atmosphere of, of mercy. Even Christ, gave, who gave his life for our sins, was the benefactor. It says he sees of the travail of his soul and is satisfied. Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Through the death of Jesus Christ, where we benefited enormously, Jesus Christ received benefit. Tremendous benefit. Because that's the way with which God deals with his creatures. Look with me at Psalm 112. Psalm 112. This is the blessings of the man who truly fears God. Whole psalm is good. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man who feareth the Lord, who delighteth greatly in his commandments. There's the qualification of the man. Notice the, the attitude that he has. He is a man who fears the Lord and a man who delights greatly in God's word. Right? Now notice what it says. His seed shall be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. His righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there riseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath distributed. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. All right? Now verse 5, notice what it says. A good man showeth kasad. A good man showeth mercy. One of the tests of a good man. And with it, he lendeth. It doesn't mean to lend in the sense of lending on interest or usury. It means to lend in the sense of being generous. Giving. Like it said in Luke 6. 
give or lend, it says, expecting no return. It means to give without expecting anybody to return. A good man showeth favor, and he demonstrates it by being willing to give to others even when they, or even especially when they can't pay us back. Psalm 41. says in verse 1 this, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. One of the things about being, about giving to the poor is that the poor can't return. They can't return the favor. But the Lord can. When you give to the poor, when you provide for the needs of another person who can't pay you back. God takes it on, on him in a special way. In fact, it says in Proverbs, he that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. The Lord pays good dividends, I'll tell you. But you see, when an individual gives to the poor, he should give it in an attitude that he never knows when he might be one, when he might be the poor. There are times, you know, in a man's life where he thinks he's got the world by the tail only to discover that he doesn't. And oh, so quickly riches can flee away. Therefore, it's a good investment, always a good investment, to give to the poor, to give to the Lord, to give to His work, to lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal. And to give to the poor is an act of mercy. And there's a sense in which it's an investment in your future. There's benefit in that. Remember uh, Lehman Strauss telling how a man, I believe, gave to his, his radio ministry a very large sum of money. And at the time, he could afford it. And um, only a short time after he'd given this money, the man had some financial reverses and he lost his business. He had nothing left. And uh, he called Dr. Strauss on the phone. And when Dr. Strauss had heard of his financial reverses and uh, he knew that the man was in trouble and he thought to himself, oh my, he's going to want this money back that he gave so many years ago. And of course the radio ministry didn't have it. And uh, the man on the other end of the line said, Dr. Strauss, I just want to tell you something. The only thing I have, the only thing I have that I really kept is what I gave to you. All the rest he lost, but he could never lose what he had given. Don't be afraid to show mercy those round about us that are in need. So Solomon in our verse says that this merciful man does good. That would have to be one of his characteristics. The word is gamal. Gamal is a word that means to recompense. To recompense. To pay back if you please. And incidentally it can be used either, either good or evil. 
Uh, to recompense an individual uh, with evil is to pay him back in kind. A person slanders you, you slander him back. That can be recompense. And the same word is used. So you have to look at the context to find out whether it is a good recompense or an evil recompense. This form is, is used with, uh, with merciful in the sense of reward or benefit or being a benefactor and therefore to recompense with good. Proverbs 22, Proverbs 22 and verse 22, it says, Rob not the poor because he is poor. It's a good reason not to rob the poor. Neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those who spoil them. There's a good warning to remember. There is a recompense that comes upon men who are doing evil. And the Lord makes certain that they receive their just and due reward. If you go over to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. You see this word gamal used Here it's speaking of Babylon that will be under judgment in a future day. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Gamal, a recompense. Look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35, and verse 4, verse 3 says, Strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not, behold your God will come with vengeance with a judgment upon the earth even God with a recompense with a gamal he will come and save you Isaiah 66 Isaiah 66 and verse 6 A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord who rendereth recompense to his en enemies. Again now, recompense, coming in terms of judgment. Keep this in mind. God is a God of mercy. He provides mercy. But God is still a God of judgment. Sin will be paid for one way or another. He judged sin in the person of Jesus Christ. Basically leaving man only one thing to worry about. And that thing is, what are you going to do with my provision for your judgment? 
What a man actually does in rejecting Jesus Christ, he rejects the provision that God has made for his judgment, saying, I'll take my chances. God is free to show mercy to that man upon his faith in Jesus Christ. But when a man rejects the only provision that God has made, then God still must judge. There's a sense in which the sin was born, but there's one sin that Jesus Christ could not bear. And that is the sin of the rejection of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose that, that a, an individual is driving down the road um, and uh, there is a bridge that's out, right? And the man is insistent he's going to drive right through all the barriers, all the warning signs, all of the rest. Finally, the one who wants to warn him steps in front of the car to stop it. And the guy runs over, the guy who stepped in front of the car. In order to show mercy to that man, someone gave up his life, right? He continues to drive down the road, ignoring still warning signs, all of the things, and especially having ignored the person that he ran down in the road, he is insistent, I'm going to go this way. When the man goes off the bridge and into the water, whose fault is it? The man has made a choice. And that man has ignored all of the opportunity along the way to stop, to detour, to turn around. And he's ignored it. The man will still die in that crash because he has ignored the mercy that has been shown to him. And men and women today somehow have the notion that it doesn't make any difference what they do. God is a merciful God and God is going to do good to them no matter what they do. Don't be so foolish. It would be absolutely inconsistent with the character of God to allow that. There is a way that seems right unto a man but the end thereof is the way of death. And the time will come where this world going pell-mell its own direction, ignoring all of the warning signs, will have payday. There's a great preacher by the name of Robert Lee that used to preach a message called Payday Someday. Payday Someday. And when a man says, I'll take my chances, then he will have to face God as his judge. Right now he can face him as a merciful, loving God who makes provision to, to rescue you and to keep you from, from hell. But in that day, he will face him as judge. I trust today that you're ready to meet him face to face because you're robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 59, verse eight, 18, says this. According to their deeds, 
Accordingly, he will repay, recompense, fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, and to the coastlands he will repay recompense. God will judge. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And verse 2. Now, we have in verse, in this passage, some a positive aspect to Gamal. Notice what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, in verse 1. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his gamal, all his repayment. Forget not all the benefit that comes to an individual. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32. And verse 25. But here's uh, the story of Hezekiah where the Lord preserved his life. He prayed and it says uh, in verse 24, In those days Hezekiah was sick uh, to death and prayed unto the Lord and he spoke unto him and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. He got proud instead. His heart was lifted up. Therefore was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, God showed him benefit. God showed him recompense, if you please. He did him good. Now, with that as background then, in Proverbs 11 and verse 17, it's talking about the merciful man. Here's the merciful man rendering benefit to other individuals. The, one of the characteristics of the merciful man is that he, will re that he renders benefit. Now we know already that it, it, it's a matter of rendering benefit to those round about him. We already saw how a merciful man uh, renders benefit to the poor. We see how, uh, how the merciful man renders benefit to his enemies. All of those things are true. But in this particular place, the merciful man renders benefit to his own soul. To his own soul. When he does good toward others, he is actually reciprocating toward himself. He is rendering benefit toward himself. We think sometimes that we, ha when we do something for someone else, that they benefit greatly. And I'm sure they do. But you know, one of the biggest favors that you can do to yourself is learn to be merciful. Not only because of the blessing of God which comes upon those that show his character, but you can benefit just in many, many ways 
by showing mercy to others. We'll talk more about that next week. Let's bow in prayer. Thank you, Father, for that which you've given us this morning. Lord, we need, we need to learn to show mercy one to another. There's a desperate need in our world today for the demonstration, for the, 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 the lesson that can be seen in terms of mercy. Father, we just pray that you would show us how today to show forth that character of the Lord Jesus Christ, the character of God by the Holy Spirit to an enemy, to someone who maligns us, to someone who misuses us, even this day. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day. Show mercy.